Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello there, everybody, and welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette. I'm an editor here at HowStuffWorks.com. And sitting across from me, as usual, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. Hey there. All righty, man. Well, uh, we're going to start this one off the way we've started off several of our more recent podcasts with a little a listener mail. And this listener mail comes from my friend Ariadne, who uh, befriended me on Facebook, and she's swell. And she has bugged me quite a bit. I mean, she has been after me quite a bit to talk about a specific subject. And so let me just read. I'm just going to read a little bit of her email, which is uh, much longer than the excerpt that I'm going to do right Now, could you please put together a podcast extolling the virtues of Linux as a cheap, paren, free, in paren, alternative to a Mac and recommend your favorite flavors? I have used Red Hat and Suze in the past. And if I miss, if I didn't pronounce that right, I'm sorry. 
I don't know much about this stuff. <laughs> but my favorite so far has been Ubuntu's Jaunty Jackalope. Thanks a whole lot. It would save us all some grief. Smiley face. I love the podcast. Ariadne. All right, then. So, Actually, we've, we, she's not the only person who's uh, asked us to talk about Linux. No, we've received many, many requests to talk about Linux. And the only reason we haven't spoken about Linux is because Chris just hates that operating system so much. He's been <laughs> just yelling. You know, like Every time I'm like, hey, Chris, do you want to do Linux? I mean, it's really cool. And he says, no, no, no one uses that. Only uh-huh. losers use Linux. Uh-huh. All right. Okay. Truth be told, <laughs> I knew nothing about Linux other than the very bare basics. I've been a Windows and Mac user pretty much my entire life. Uh, I mean, DOS before Windows even and Apple before that. But I was the one who was holding us back because I just didn't have the experience or the knowledge base really to talk about it. So uh, I know a little bit more now, but I'm going to let Chris take the controls here and I will um, I will pipe in with smart ass comments whenever appropriate. <laughs> uh, well, I, I felt like we should probably start with a little uh, maybe just a little bit of history. It's funny because every time we start talking about computer history, all of a sudden we're 26 minutes into the podcast and we haven't gone to the topic. Right. Um so just a little bit of history. Um, it's a derivative of Unix, um, which was an operating system originally planned in the 1960s as a, you know, a robust operating system that would be, uh, worked on by multiple companies and everybody was going to come together and use this, uh, this, uh, operating system. Um, it didn't quite work out that way. <laughs> um, actually it ended up at, uh, Bell Labs and the project actually initially, um, was called something entirely different. Um, but Unix is, uh, you know, it was actually called Multix at first. Right, right. Um, and, uh, but, and then the coalition of companies that were going to do this fell apart. They, the whole reason behind that was at that point in the, in the 1960s, they had all these giant computers and none of them could talk to one another because they didn't, they all had their own proprietary operating system. Right. Uh, which is exactly like it is now. Oh, uh, <laughs> oh, anyway. Um, so, the coalition between the companies fell apart, but Bell Labs, um, some, some guys over at Bell Labs in the Murray Hill, New Jersey office, um, Ken Thompson, Dennis Ritchie, Doug, uh, McElroy, and, uh, JF Osana, uh, basically kept working on it, mm. uh, because basically their bosses felt like it was a worthwhile use of their time, I guess. Um, and, and it basically panned out for them because the more they worked on it, um, and they basically started from scratch once the Multics thing fell apart. Sure. And the new project ended up being called Unix. Um, started about spring 1969. We, uh, have a belated happy birthday to, U- to Unix and our 40th birthday. Happy birthday to Unix. That's all I can do. <laughs> Otherwise we have to pay rights. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sure it would give you a nice, uh, greeting in binary. Yeah. In response to that. Um, and, uh, we're talking giant computers here, you know, the size, the size of bookcases. Um, a PDP seven right. actually is the first that it ran on. Um, and, uh, in 1970, they actually upgraded to a PDP 11 for only $65,000. But that's sort of attests to what Bell Labs thought it could do because, you know, otherwise they wouldn't fork over, uh, 65 grand, you know, for, for an operating system. And, um, and January 1st, 1970, isn't that what marks the Unix epoch? The Unix epoch? Yes. I they, didn't know it had an epoch. They count, they count up from January 1st, 1970 in seconds. So back in, I think it was February 13th of this year, we had, uh, the moment where the, the counter reached one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, zero. Huh. 
Yeah. I had no idea. I, I remember that. It was very special. My wife was upset because I forgot Valentine's Day the next day. <laughs> I said, right. well, where were you on Unix Day? <laughs> I was uh, ready to celebrate. You know, that's almost, that's almost as special as Pi Day. <laughs> um, however, Pi. <laughs> I knew I could get in with that. Uh, um, but uh, the original Unix um, was written in Assembler, uh, a very old and... Uh, robust computer language. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, Mr. Thompson kept working on it, uh, basically decided he wanted to write a new language for it, which he called B, like in the uh, the letter B. And then uh, gradually, as he made adjustments, it, there was a new language called New B, and then uh, a new one, which you may have heard of, called C. So that's where those uh, languages come in. And, um, you know, there's sort of a, an uh, august history there. Sure. So, um, basically, the only the only reason we're bringing up Unix here is because Linux is a derivative of Unix. Un- uh, Unix is, you know, open for people to uh, to mess with, and uh, Linus Torvalds, who was a student at the University of Helsinki in Finland, was kind of interested in one of the derivatives called Minix. Mm-hmm. And then from 1991 f- through 1994, he started working on his own uh, Unix derived operating system, which. Essentially, since his name is Linus, he called it Linux. Yep. And yes, this uh, is the there you uh, go. Born in 1994, officially when the right, uh, 1.0 kernel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so let's talk a little bit about what an operating system is before we go into Linux, just to sure. kind of give a groundwork. Okay. So your operating system, this is a it acts sort of as a liaison between your applications and your computer's hardware. Uh, it is what facilitates your applications uh, and lets them work. Otherwise, there's, you know, your applications don't just immediately plug into your, your computer's processor. Um, it also, sure. so it acts Go ahead as, and work. That's okay with me. Right. So the operating system is, is a liaison. It's also, you could think of it as a, a foundation. You could think of it as like the ground floor of a building and the applications are the stories that you, you build on top of the ground floor. And, uh, and so, you know, we're all familiar with various kinds of operating systems. Uh, most of the United States is familiar with Windows, for example, at least some format of it. Um, I thought you said the operating system was the ground floor, but there are Windows and all uh, the other yeah, floors. Yeah, well, there's Windows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Windows being a graphics-oriented uh, <laughs> operating system, graphic user interface, or GUI, mm-hmm. as we say. Uh, now, granted, when, back, when, back when I was starting with computers, um, I used a command line interface, which was um, much more uh, – it required the user to be – much more of a kind of a repository of bizarre and obscure commands. Yes. Um, Zip, stay, heal, beg. Run, CD, LS, tree. Oh, so, those two. Uh, you know, you had, but you had to know these different commands in order to, to navigate your way around the computer. Now, the nice thing about GUIs, of course, is that it, tr- it changes all that into a graphics oriented, uh, interface. So that's doing all the work for you. You just have to, click around to activate stuff and all the command line things that you would normally do manually is that actually goes on in the background. So the operating system, the very core of the operating system is called the kernel. This is these are the the core programs that interact with the hardware. It's a seed, like a kernel of corn. Yes. It's not a kernel like KFC. Right. Not that kind of kernel. <laughs> Not Sanders. So, so you've got the kernel and then you have various layers built around the kernel and on top of the kernel to, that, uh, make up the operating system. The kernel is the important thing to remember here because, uh, 
the when we talk about the the Linux 1.0, that's we're really talking about the Linux kernel there. Mm-hmm. And then because uh, Linus decided that this operating system should be open source, he allowed anyone to look at the code and make changes and make their own derivatives. Um, and that started a pretty a pretty robust craze of operating system development, I would say. Yeah. At least within the open source community. True. Um, so it, it's funny because it's, it really is very much like a tree. Once you start with Unix, I mean, there are all the other derivatives of Unix other than Linux, like, you know, Berkeley Standard Distribution, which some of you know as BSD, or uh, OS X, which is not OS X, the Mac operating system. Um uh, which was developed for pyramid commuters in the early 1980s and QNX, which, um, you know, I know from the connection to the <clears throat> Amiga after they were talking about, uh, redoing the Amiga OS, uh, using QNX as its base. Uh, but there are tons of those. And then a lot of these have other derivatives like BSD, um, shares some of the kernel with the, uh, OS 10 operating system for the Mac. Um, and likewise, Linux has lots and lots and lots of derivatives, uh, right. some of which we've already mentioned, uh, some of which are for pay, like Red Hat um, mm-hmm. releases uh, different versions. And, you know, they're they're certainly welcome to do that. They can package their own Linux operating system and sell it to you if you like. And you can get support from the company, which right. other versions of Linux you cannot. Right. You, there's a trade-off. You, there, there are plenty of free Versions of Linux. We, and versions, uh, in Linux, in the Linux community, we call those distribution. Yes. Yeah, a distribution of Linux. Right. And, uh, so each distribution is really a, a version of Linux. So it's somewhere on that, that tree, that tree that branches out from the Linux kernel. And, uh, yeah, so some of them are free. Some of them you pay for. The free ones, you know, there's no investment up front, but the downside of that is if something does go wrong, there's not really a person you can just easily go to and say, hey, this isn't working, fix it. You can go to different Linux communities, uh, either uh, online or you know, even if there's a group that meets in person, because there are people who do that. Um, you may be able to go to someone uh, or some community online and, and state what your problem is and get some help that way. But it's not going to be as quick as uh, it would be if you had a, a dedicated helpline. So that's one downside. Um, but the the flip side is, You've got people who really want this stuff to work. So they're going to work very hard to fix any problems that, uh, that exist on the back end. You know, if it's a user error, that's one thing. But if it's something that's fundamentally wrong with part of the operating system, you can bet there's someone out there working to fix it. Yeah. Um, and I think it's funny because, um, I've talked to so many people who really love Linux and they seem a little surprised in some way that Linux is not more popular. Um, and I think, I think it comes down to a lot of the, in a lot of cases, the people who really, really like Linux, um, don't mind getting their hands dirty a little bit. Right. They, uh, they're kind of interested in trying to make it work and figuring out, uh, how to bridge gaps that might be bridged otherwise, um, by a company operating an operating system, offering an operating system. Or, you know, the company in between that and the company oper- offering, I can't talk today, offering a, a program that you buy. And sometimes, you know, you go, okay, well, I've got this file, but I'm not sure what player I can use to play this file. And in some cases, there's not one. Right. Um, 
So you don't call, you don't get on the phone with tech support or email somebody. You have to start searching on forums or talking to your friends who know how to use Linux and saying, well, you know, what is this thing? What, you know, is or there you a have plugin to start for this? learning to program yourself. Yeah. And that's, <laughs> and I think a, a lot of people, um, you know, myself included in, in some cases are just lazy. They just want it to work. Yeah. And they don't want it. They know that if you want the plugin for so and so, you go to their website and download it or that it's even that your browser is going to prompt you. Hey, I can't play this. You want me to go get the plugin for you? Right. Um, thankfully, uh, there's tons and tons of software that's cross platform enough, like Mozilla's Firefox. Firefox sure. is Firefox, regardless of whether you're using it on Mac, Windows, or Linux. And Firefox is pretty smart and goes, well, you know, hey, I know there's a plugin for this that works for Linux. Would you like me to go get it for you? Um, you know, right. so that I think that helps. That's going to help adoption more. But I think there's that's why there's a gap is people just want to turn on their computer and have it work for them. Well, there's the the other problem is that there's not one easily recognizable flavor of Linux. There's that too. You, you know, when you when you're talking about Linux, you are talking about hundreds of different variations. Now there are a few that are really popular and and leap to mind faster than others. Ubuntu being one of the the big ones right now. But uh, you know, if you're talking to someone who just said, you know, you just tell them I, I use a Linux based machine, and they go and they do a search for Linux, you could get confused very quickly. You know, when you're talking about Windows, yeah, there's still a lot of variations. I mean, there's still versions depending on what you know. Is it Windows Vista? Is it XP? Is it? Do you have Windows Seven early? <laughs> what did you do? Um, yeah. But you know, it's Linux. That problem is compounded because you're talking about hundreds of variations, not just you know a few. Mm-hmm. Like even I mean, even up to a dozen. If you're talking about the Windows ones, if you're talking about Macs, you're talking about you know. Leopard or Snow Leopard or Polecat or whatever the hell they're Pole calling cats. it. Um, I don't know. They've got a cat fixation over there. But, uh, yeah, it's, it, I think that's one of the big barriers is that, you know, it's, it's, there's not an easy thing to point to and say, uh, this is what I'm talking about. Right. Like you can say, this is one variation of what I'm talking about. I think, um, there's something else too. People don't trust it because it's free. Well, that's it too. You know, you think about, well, if it's free, that must mean that it's somehow inferior. Yeah. Um, when, when really, uh, most, I, I would, I would think that a lot of Linux fans would argue that the opposite is true. That because you have this big open community, all dedicated to trying to make stuff that works really well, um, that the products are in some ways superior to the things that are available on the market. Uh, we were talking earlier before we started recording about the fact that if something if something is is missing a feature or a function, you've got developers out there who may recognize that and will work to go ahead and include that so that the next version of that has that functionality. Whereas if you are purchasing a big name product from Apple or Microsoft, you may have to wait a really long time before they get around to adding more features and functions mm-hmm. because it's whatever the corporation deems important. In Linux, you're talking about what the community deems important. And uh, that's likely to be a whole variety of things. Yeah, well, yeah, they're going to be looking at it from a you know a user and developer standpoint as opposed to what's going to make money. You yeah. Know? So. Yeah. Well, I can I can tell you that um, you know if those people are discounting Linux because it's free, sorry, pardon the pun, um, they're wrong. Because frankly, you can do if you if you're looking for I mean this sort of goes back to the whole low cost thing. Um, you're, you're totally getting 
far more than what you're paying for with it. Because basically what you're paying for is the cost of a CD. You download a distribution of Linux, you burn it onto a CD, then you use that CD to boot your computer and install Linux. Actually, in most cases, you can run the distribution right from the CD and, right. you and don't even have try to, it out. Yeah, that's that's one of the, the really nice things I like about Linux is that if you are nervous about installing this operating system on your machine, if you think, well, what happens if I don't like it? You know, I've got Windows pre-installed. What am I going to do? Uh, a lot of these allow you to boot directly from a CD so you can test it out, see if you like it, and then make your decision based upon that experience. So if you decide, you know what, this is neat and all, but I prefer the functionality I have with Windows, there's no, you know, buyer's remorse or anything. Yep. Yeah, and you can, you could do this. I mean, if you think about what most people do with their computers, you know, they get online, they check email, they use the web, they use productivity software. Hack into um, the FAA. Wait, we said most people. Right. Right. Never mind. Yeah. I didn't say that. Uh-huh. Uh, just pointing out that that was Jonathan. Um, <laughs> in case you were listening. Of course, they know what your voice sounds like. Yeah. That's um, true. No, I mean, for what most people do at their desks, you know, at, at their jobs, you don't need Windows for that at all. You could do Linux and use all free software. You're just paying for your hardware. You could download a distribution of Linux and everything you need to do right there is free. No. You, you can listen to music. You can chat. All those programs are actually, they're all pre-installed with some distributions. I installed, um, Ubuntu on our test machine. And let's get all that stuff pre-installed. Yeah. Now there, are, of course, other are other issues. For instance, uh, if your office does not uh, adopt Linux completely, you know, corporate wide, then you may have compatibility issues if they're running other proprietary software. Depending on what it is, some, on what it is. some stuff like you know things like basic Word documents and things. There are there are Linux programs that will easily open those up, and you can make edits and all that kind of stuff. Well, I mean, Open Office is available for Mac, Windows, and Linux. Right. It has its own standard, but it also uh, reads and writes files in .doc right. format. Yeah, that. So you can share with Windows people. Exactly. So, but if you are using any other proprietary software, let, let's say that goes beyond just the word processing or uh-huh. spreadsheets or whatever, that might be a problem because it may, you know, if it if it's designed to run on Windows. Uh, it's not going to run on Linux unless you have either some sort of emulator or someone has built a a version of it specifically for Linux. So there are there are other barriers. There's the the whole software barrier. It's the same thing in a way that that prevents a lot of people from switching over to Macs because they sit there and they'll, they'll say, "Wow, this is a really cool machine. It's very sexy and sleek and pretty." But I can't run blah 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 on it because it's they don't make it available for Macs. Well, that that same problem exists for Linux to some extent. Then again, there are solutions to that too. Yeah. You could use uh, Sun's uh, VirtualBox, right. provided you're not a company, because it's well. I mean, you could. You just have to pay for it. Right. Uh, but if you are a user at home, uh, you can use VirtualBox and run Windows and Linux at the same time simultaneously right. on your machine. Yeah, or you um, can always dual boot, which you are not running them at the same time, but you get to choose which operating system you want to use. True enough. But that does uh, compartmentalize your your resources. So, But if you are looking for a, an easy way to take uh, a computer, even a lower power machine, because Linux uses many fewer resources than, say, I don't know, Vista. Yeah, it's not as big a draw on your computer's hardware. Um, and I'll, I'll say why in a second. Um, you could totally use an inexpensive machine um, with less processor requirement 
and, uh, you know, and free installation of, of Linux and you're pretty much off and running. Um, now, I mean, that's why it's so popular with netbooks is because those, you know, those machines don't have nearly the processor power that a full size laptop right, would have, right. which is why Linux is found on some of those. Um, the thing is, uh, this and this might affect people, especially uh, us Mac users who like everything fancy. Now that we've got OS ten, uh, you know, Linux just isn't as pretty in a lot of cases. Yeah, I mean, there are ways around that too. But actually, that's one of the things that I've read from the Linux community too. Is they're trying, they're, they they want to spice up the uh, the look and feel, the GUI a little bit more. So they want to they want to kind of adopt that aesthetic approach that Apple has mastered. Yeah, and and the reason why, if they can get more people. Uh, and gain critical mass, you know, they could, they could take over the world. You know, people yeah. say the operating system war is over, but I think it's just a matter of time before somebody comes out with something better. And Linux could very well be that. Well, and you look at some of the other, um, operating systems out there that are based on the same sort of stuff. I mean, Android, the Android operating system mm-hmm. for Google phones, that's got based off the Linux kernel. Well, that's, that's true. We didn't talk about any of the other stuff. There's tons of stuff. You may have something running Linux in your home right now. Right. For example, if you have a TiVo. Yep. It's got Linux in it. That's true. Lots of things have Linux in it. Yep. Yep. So, um, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very versatile operating system. Very robust. And, uh, and like you said, because it demands so, Compared to other operating systems, yeah, the yeah. demands are so low for for hard um, for processing power, it can run on lots of different things. Now, granted, even the people who love Linux say you shouldn't think of Linux as a way to turn your old machine into a cutting edge, like uh, lightning fast computer. That's yeah. not that's not going to happen. But it will allow your computer to run an operating system that allows you access to most of the programming that you're accustomed to. Even on an older machine, it extends the the useful life of a computer by a few years. Really, uh, you know, I've got computer. I got a couple of computers at my home that probably couldn't run. I know I've got one that couldn't run Windows Vista mm-hmm. if I wanted to. It just doesn't have the the capacity for it. But it could run a Linux based operating system without too much trouble. Now, again, it's not going to go lightning fast. It's not going to suddenly turn my machine into this miracle computer. But, but it, it might, is going to work. And it might run Linux faster than it would run Windows. Yes. Um, you know, I, I, I just think it's, uh, it's one of those things that I'm really glad that I tried using for a while. And it, it's got some definite advantages, um, to the Windows operating system. Uh, a little while ago for the blog, I wrote about this, um, uh, third party app store for Mac called Bodega. Well, actually Linux has something very much like that built in. It, it's not, uh, li- exactly like the App Store, but it's called the uh, Synaptic Package Manager. And so, say you're looking for something that would run that will play music files, you can go in and search those and see if you can find something. If you say, "Oh, well, this looks interesting," uh, maybe I'll try that out. You can tell it to go ahead and install it. It will take all, it will get all the files it needs and install it on your machine for you without you having to search on Google, for example, and look for things. Well, I don't know which one is the best. You know, you might be able to, you'll have all of them right there. And, um, I'm pretty sure that not every piece of Linux software is in it. Um, again, I have somewhat limited experience with Linux too, only, um, a few dozen hours with it, but, uh, lots of stuff is in it. And you can generally find programs that you need, um, just by looking in the package manager without having to go online to the web and, and start fooling around with that. 
So uh, I think that's a nice feature. I think that the operating system should help you find software. It's like, well, you know, what do you want to do? You want, you know, uh, to balance your checkbook? Well, here are some financial programs. Mm -hmm. Try one of these. You want to build a website? Here's some software that will help you do that. I think it's it's nice. And it also has a a version of uh, what the Mac OS has is spaces, basically multiple desktops that you can flip back and forth between. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's sort of like virtually having more than one monitor. And uh, I think that's a very nice feature. I would like to yeah, that on my Windows one. desktop that I use at work. I've got it on my Mac at home. I've got it, you know, on the uh, Linux test machine. Sure. But, uh, I'd like to see Windows do that too. Yeah, yeah, where you can set up different approaches to be, depending on what you want to use the computer for. Yep. yep. Yeah, like I don't necessarily need my Neo Steam uh, MMORPG icon sitting right there on my desktop for my my work layout. But you might need to access it. You know, in between, so you can flip over, you know, to the other, to the right. other desktop. I use that sometimes for music when I have the, uh, Pandora up and running in my, uh, in my browser, but I may not want to look at that and I keep, you know, it keeps sure. getting in the way. Sure. I can move it to the other desktop. You don't have and to then go back to the one I'm actually working on. And then seeing on. it again, like, ah, oh, exactly. son of a, it's, it's, yeah, uh, it's, it's useful. It's very efficient. And, um, I've got to say, if I had a choice between Linux and Windows, you know, in general, I'd probably choose Linux just because I, I like it a little bit more. And the mm-hmm. more I know about it, the more I like it. And uh, we should also point out that Linux is also very, very popular for things uh, like on servers. Oh, yeah. A lot true. of servers run Linux and a lot of workstations. So stations that are usually used to to check up on things like servers and server farms. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that is because it's, it is robust and yet, again, it doesn't demand too many resources. So more of that machine's resources are dedicated to what it's supposed to do, which is serve content or route traffic or whatever. Um, so yeah, uh, that's, that's another uh, one of the more popular uses for, for Linux. In fact, uh, a lot of the really, really big, uh, data centers are filled with machines running Linux. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Google's, for example. Yeah, and um, you know, if you go hunting for a, a Linux distro to download, uh, you're going to find you <laughs> you will find two versions generally mm-hmm. uh, on virtually anybody's servers. At least the ones I've checked, you're going to see desktop or server. It's like, well, you know, I'm going to choose desktop because that's what I'm going to use it for. But you, right. know, you could get a PC and add the server software yeah, on could, it, and you could make run your, own your own home server. Yeah, you could run your run your own home server, which I've actually considered doing. Yeah. Yeah, because you know, I've got a couple of machines that are just gathering dust, and if everything's in working order, then I might. I keep saying this though. <laughs> I talked about turning one of them into a media center many, many episodes ago, and now I don't have TV. <laughs> I went the opposite way. Yeah, no kidding. I went the. I went. I don't know how I turned left when I was supposed to go right. It was that darn Albuquerque sign. Always gets me. <laughs> Yep. Always gets me. All, All right. right. Well, um, well, I think we should. I think we should revisit this in the future. And we'll keep we, messing we with it. And Ariadne did ask, like, what what flavors of Linux oh. do you like? Uh, well, I've only used the Ubuntu. Yes. And so um, I liked it, but I have nothing to compare it against. Um, I have very little. I admit, I have very little to uh, compare it against. Um, I, I considered uh, DSL, which is damn small Linux. Mm. Uh, a very uh, a much smaller distribution. You know what? I have Android. Sense. Now that I think about it, <laughs> I guess well, I could argue, but it's not the same. Thing. It's got the. Yeah, I have the TiVo operating system, right? Yeah, it's, you know, uh, Android's awesome, but right. yeah, it's just it just it's just based off the Linux kernels. So. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I tried what I, I thought it was pronounced uh, Susie, 
the Novell, actually that, that, uh, distribution is called, it's called Susie, S-U-S-E, and it's, um, from Novell, the company. I knew when it was proprietary. It is free. Um, and I messed with it a little bit. Uh, I still prefer Ubuntu a little bit more. Um, and I have, uh, used another very, very specialized version of Linux, but it is for computers. It's called Sugar Stick. Um, it basically is a distribution of Linux that is designed to fit on a one gigabyte thumb drive. Mm. It is educational for kids. Um, and, uh, the graphics are very, very simple so that it fits on that small a drive. But, um, it's, it's pretty cool. You can boot from this little thumb drive and use the, uh, the system. Of course, it's not, you know, Ubuntu. And that's the one I've used the most. Right. Um, I did use, uh, Kubuntu a little bit. Um, but, uh, you know, they're so sim- similar because both of them are from Canonical. So, um, hmm. you know, yeah, it's, it's my favorite too, but, uh, I, I don't have as many distributions to, to compare it to. Right. So sorry that we haven't experienced the whole wide world of Linux. We'll but keep playing with it. What we have experienced, we've enjoyed so far. Yeah. Haven't had any horror, horror stories at least. So no, no. The only, the only thing I had trouble with was installing initially. And that was a few when I actually started using, uh, I tried to use the 6.4, oh, sorry, 6.04. And I had so much trouble installing that, but with, uh, uh, Gutsy Gibbon and Jaunty Jackalope. I really didn't have that much trouble at all. What? I don't Nothing. think I tried Intrepid Ibex. Uh, yes, and Karmic Koala is due out this fall. So, right. um, the, the next version of, of Ubuntu Linux is, uh, not far off. Why so, are you yeah, looking at me like if, that? If you're ready to switch from Polecat to, <laughs> to yeah, Karmic Koala. Yeah, what is it with, with naming things after animals. I you know, don't know. Microsoft's not on board with this. No. Windows and, 7. Know, and yeah. Linux even has a, a cool, uh, logo. Tux right, the Penguin. Tux the Penguin. Chosen by Linus Torvalds himself. Also open source. Yep. You can, you can use, it's under the, the GNU. So you can <laughs> use it freely if you like. Um, no, I was going to say that Windows, yeah, Windows 7 doesn't follow the animal thing. And yeah. yet we can't figure out where the 7 comes from. Every time Good I count point. up, I, I don't come up with seven whenever I go through the different versions. I'm, I, so if you know where the seven comes from yeah. for Microsoft Windows 7, write us. Tech stuff at HowStuffWorks.com because we don't know. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I'm sure there's some, weird, there's some weird math in there where it works out. But, you know, you just have to ignore this and – you have listener mail from of, a Mr. Gates exactly. who says <laughs> if it's Balmer, then it'll be a very entertaining email. With profanity, maybe? Maybe the word developers eighty times. <laughs> uh well that's that's everything I've got for, for Linux. I, I yeah. You done? Yeah, I'm done. You know, I hope now, that I hope that was a good Linux episode I, I, I really do intend to come back to it. Good. I wanna I wanna good. keep going with it and come back to that's it so good. we can talk about it again. Because I could use the nap. Um all right, ladies and gentlemen, that brings us to our second installment of Listener Mail. So pleasant. Yes. Isn't it nice? So here's our Listener Mail. <clears throat> this comes from Larry. Just listen to the 3D printing podcast. I can't believe you changed the Listener Mail sound, frowny face. <laughs> Your podcast has never made me this sad before. Did I mention so pleasant? Asterisk, sigh, asterisk. I was so shocked I couldn't even really listen to the podcast. I guess we'll go back and re-listen to it now. Larry, I'm sorry. We had a lot of people writing us and saying that they found my listener mail delivery very annoying and the klaxon even more so. 
Uh, in fact, there are people who are saying, keep the way you say listener mail, but get rid of the alarm. So eventually we decided, well, we'll try and, and switch it around. And so we did. We, we got the new sound effects and I decided I would do listener mail a little differently. And hopefully you'll get used to it and you'll come to love it the way you love the old one. And if not, I suggest all the people who love the old way go into the Thunderdome with all the people who, who hated the old way and you fight it out amongst yourselves. And whoever comes out, that's the version I will do from then on. So, uh, so 875 if, enter, one leaves. I wonder if stuff from the B side has an opening. <laughs> well, we can ask around. I hear there's some shifting in some of the podcasts, so just keep your ears open. Tectonic stuff. Tectonic stuff, yes. <laughs> All right. So if any of you have anything else you want to add, I've already given the email address once, but once more, it's techstuff at howstuffworks.com. If you want to learn more about various operating systems and other things that make computers go beep, you can check that out at our website, HowStuffWorks.com. And Chris and I will talk to you again, probably about Linux, really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. And be sure to check out the new TechStuff blog, now on the HowStuffWorks homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.